everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fertility Answers podcast. I am still Neil Chapel, and excited to have one of our very own nurses here with me today, Caroline. Uh, we are going to talk about the IUI. I have found over the past uh, few years that we get all of our diagnostic testing and everything looks good. We got sperm, we got eggs, we got uterus, and now the next step is IUI, and the patients look at me and say, what is that? Caroline is going to uh, be my uh, supervisor in making sure that I say things that are actually helpful as opposed to going off on the tangents that I'm prone to do. So thank you for being here as my guide. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, I think it's helpful to frame what the heck an IUI is in the setting of what normally happens in a menstrual cycle. And you've heard me say time and again, the ovary wakes up a handful of eggs, the brain looks down, picks one, and ovulates it. And the rest of the eggs that woke up that month, they die off. The egg, once it's ovulated, has just a narrow window that it can actually be fertilized and then make its way from the fallopian tube where it is fertilized into the uterus to implant about a week later. And so the goal in an IUI cycle, which IUI stands for intrauterine insemination, probably should have led with that. Uh, the goal in an IUI cycle is really to optimize the timing of ovulation with the introduction of sperm into the reproductive tract. Uh, we combine IUI with ovulation induction, meaning we help an ovulation along with some forms of medicine, and we'll get to that in a second, in combination with the intrauterine insemination as is appropriate. When I say, hey, want this patient to do a letrozole IUI cycle, and we go to relay that information to the patient, what are, what are your kind of first steps that you give to the patient whenever, whenever that happens? So first we tell patients that they'll need to call what cycle day one. Um, some patients don't have a full flow they'll spot before they start their full flow, so we always make sure you call cycle day one full flow. Um, whenever patients do call at cycle day one, we tell them we're going to bring them in for a baseline ultrasound. Um, it is a vaginal ultrasound, which freaks people out mostly because they're day three of their period when they have that ultrasound. Um, and so we'll bring them in. We'll make sure everything is clear, meaning there's no cysts on those ovaries or anything like that, before we get started with that medication. So that's our first step is telling the patient to call cycle day one, bring them in for a baseline, which typically falls on cycle day three or day four of that cycle. That's perfect, and, and that's, that's exactly right. The, the first step is to wait. We need to wait for the next cycle. So usually we finish our diagnostics and finish our testing, and now we're kind of in the middle of a cycle and we really can't do anything because the ovary and the brain have already started talking and they've already started recruiting whatever egg is gonna be ovulated that month. So to really get started in treatment, the first thing we have to do is wait for the point that the brain and the ovary are the quietest, and that's the start of the next cycle. And so that, that first baseline ultrasound, like you said, usually we do it day one, two, three, four, or five, mm -hmm. just depending on how the patient cycle falls and, and how their work schedule and life schedule is. Important to look for, like you said, cysts. You want to see a couple of nice quiet ovaries and a thin line in the uterus as far as the endometrium goes. And that kind of gives us the word go that we can start the medicine because the ovaries are ready to recruit an egg. If we're going to give them medicine to help along with recruiting that egg, that's called ovulation induction because we're helping to induce an ovulation. There are a few medicines that we can use. 
What uh, are the two that you feel like we use the most? Letrozole and Clomid. Letrozole and Clomiphene, yeah. So Clomid is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, which is a fancy way of saying that it goes to the brain and tells the brain there's not a whole lot of estrogen around. And so brain push on the ovaries a little harder to grow some eggs. And that helps the brain and the ovary kind of bridge communication a little clearer, send down a stronger signal, and potentially recruit an egg or two in that cycle. Letrozole is what's known as an aromatase inhibitor. It decreases estrogen production around the body. And so in result being the same, the brain doesn't see as much estrogen and therefore secretes more of those gonadotropins, FSH and LH to grow the eggs again, a little stronger. There are a few other um, pills like Clomid or Letrozole, but they're, they're not used as, as often really anymore. You can take one, two, or three of those pills, usually for five days nightly. Um, the common regimens being day three through seven or day five through nine. And so depending on a lot of factors that are gonna be individualized, you know, for each patient, and this is this would be a prime time to say, this is what you would discuss with your doctor. One of those two pills in, in a certain regimen at a certain dose would, would be most appropriate. Uh, and that's when Caroline would sit down with you with a calendar and say, here's the prescription, here's how you take it. Um, do you let them know about any side effects they may experience with them or you talk to them about how to take the pills or anything they should look for? Yeah, so whenever we do sit down at the baseline ultrasound, there is um, a consent that everyone has to sign to that goes over possible side effects just to let people know like hot flashes is one, headaches, things like that that are common side effects for those medications. Um, typically we don't hear much of the side effects. I mean, I feel like a lot of patients actually don't have many side effects that go on with these two medications. Cause like you said, they're only taking it for five nights. So yeah. it's really not, you know, a long term pill that they're going to be on. Yeah. When you say common side effects, I'd say <laughs> the majority of folks do over 90% of folks do great. The, yeah. the majority of folks, uh, are most of the studies out there on Clomid and Letrozole say that the side effect profiles are, are really, really good with, with both of them and with minimal risk. Uh, the number one things being occasional mood swings or, or headaches. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'll save the more detailed talks about individual protocols in ovulation induction for or on infertility diagnoses that kind of lean towards needing those. Um, but for now, I, the other thing that is worth mentioning is injectable medicines. Um, that is something that is used uh, in ovulation induction as well if the clomid and letrozole really aren't cutting the mustard on their own. So there, there's, there's kind of three big injection medicines out there, and it's helpful just to think of them as either FSH or LH um, in a sense. And, it's, and you can use... Um, FSH medicines, you can use LH medicines, or you can actually use um, med a medicine called HCG, really, really, really diluted down. Um, that's another uh, way you can do it. But essentially, these medicines, instead of telling the brain to make more FSH and LH, act like FSH and LH directly. So they kind of bypass the mother nature checkpoints that are in place to grow maybe an extra egg or two, or they're useful in patients that can't really get enough production of the FSH and LH on their own. The danger here with the injectable medicines is since you're bypassing Mother Nature's checkpoints by going directly to the ovary, you run the risk of growing too many eggs, and that's where you really see uh, multiple um, gestations. 
twins, triplets, etc. And so that's something that you really need to individualize and have a, and have a kind of frank conversation with your doctor about. In general, um, what do you quote patients as far as risk for twins with like clomid or letrozole? Um, it's about five percent. Five to ten percent. Yeah. 5%. Yeah. Uh, I think in our clinic it's around seven percent and has been for for years and. If you look at the, the papers out there, you'll see papers quoting anywhere from 5 to 15%. Um, I think kind of most people agree letrozole twin rate 5 to 9% and Clomid twin rate probably a little higher, around maybe 7 to 12%, but they all kind of average out to about 7%. Uh, and that's what, we, that's what we've seen here. Probably as far as risk factors, you know, we talked about headaches, but risk factors, probably the biggest one is, mm-hmm. is twins. Yeah. Um, risk of triplets, not increased in, in the in general population. Um, that changes when you add the injectables, and that's worth mentioning. Okay, so we take our clomid, we take our letrozole, we may take an injectable or two, mm-hmm. and um, then we come back around day 10, 11, or 12 of the cycle. Uh, what's that for? Yeah, so what we do is we draw your lab, um, and we do another ultrasound. So we do another vaginal ultrasound. Um, We like to see if you started stimulating any follicles, meaning grow a dominant follicle that is ready to go, ready to trigger and have that IUI. That's perfect. We we typically think of an egg needing about a week and a half or so to grow. So we bring you you back to the uh, clinic a week and a half later to check and make sure that an egg is growing. And at that point, the ultrasound along with the labs lets us know that you are or aren't responding to the medicines. If we need to make some tweaks to the protocol, we do. Maybe this is an appropriate time to add some injections if, if there's not a fully robust response to the pills alone. Uh, and then based on that, we make the decision of either tweaking the protocol or um, moving forward with trigger. Um, what, do you, what do you tell the patients about when, when we say, what, what's a trigger? So a trigger is an HCG injection, um, which makes sure that you ovulate that dominant follicle or the egg in that dominant follicle. Um, And so we time that with the IUI. So we'll go over whenever that um, appointment happens, we go over how to use it. We show you how to mix it. Um, We show you how to inject it. We even give you a piece of paper. We even have videos on our website um, that show you how to do all of those things. So when it comes time to inject, then you'll be more comfortable with doing that. Yeah, I think this is... For, for a lot of patients that are kind of dipping their toe in the water with fertility treatments, the, the trigger shot's probably the first time they have to do an injection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, many folks are just doing a pill like Clomid or a pill like Letrozole, and then it comes to uh, the middle the mid-cycle visit. They've got a beautiful egg. They've got great estrogen. Everything else looks really good. Okay, it's time to ovulate. Wait, I have to take a shot. I really like the trigger shot because it helps guarantee that ovulation did, in fact, occur. It lets us know the exact timing at which it occurred, and it helps to support an early pregnancy implantation. So I think for for those simple reasons, it's uh, it's well worth it's well worth it uh, it being included inside the, the protocol. So you, you mentioned that we time the IUI based on the trigger shot. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about scheduling IUIs and how we do that? Yeah. So a lot of times people come in for their baseline and ask, "When is my IUI?" Um, that normally we don't know that until you come back at that mid-cycle scan. Um, that mid-cycle scan, like you said, tells us a little bit more about what we're dealing with and how to time that IUI. So what happens is you'll come, we'll say, give yourself a trigger shot um, at this time this night. So let's say 8 p.m. this night. Your IUI is more than likely going to be 36 hours after that. Um, and we time it that way. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And that's a really good point. I, I, I get that 
often enough. Even even after, after we're sitting down after going through diagnostics, and it's like, let's do an IUI next month, and they say, okay, what day am I doing the IUI? Yeah. <laughs> and and you you have no idea that you know the ovary is very much in charge. We're not. That is that's something that we ought, we have to kind of roll with, which is very frustrating in the realm of fertility because everyone's got a life to plan. Uh, and that that makes things complicated, but uh, but it isn't it is a necessity because we can't exactly we can't exactly tell you exactly how the ovary is going to grow that particular month. And then you're right, trigger uh, ovulation with the HCG injection. Ovulation occurs around 36 to 42 hours later, and so we typically time the insemination a day and a half after trigger. There are instances where it makes sense to do the IUI a little earlier. Again, that's depending on labs, and that's individualization of the treatment. Uh, I think the the next big important thing is uh, what's the success rates. Um, so, to be fair, national reported you know rate pregnancy rates per the the, re, the big research papers, IUI pregnancy rates hover around twelve percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing that patients say to me when I say twelve to fifteen percent is, what? Um, you can get it higher, but then the multiple rate goes way, way up because the way you go higher than that is by bringing in a whole lot of follicles with really aggressive simulation protocols. And that's something to try and avoid. The reality is, is that natural pregnancy rates month to month are around 18% best case scenario. And so taken into that context, 12 to 15% pregnancy rate makes a little bit more sense that um, in an IUI, Really what we're doing is just helping ovulation and timing ovulation with insemination. That's really just complementing or augmenting, if you will, natural fertility. And so it makes sense that it would be pretty close to natural pregnancy rates. And I think that's that's important to keep in mind. That being said, 12 to 15% for two to three months, the cumulative pregnancy rate or the cumulative number of patients that will get pregnant with a few cycles is actually not too terrible. Depending on the patient, depending on the prognosis, anywhere from maybe 40 to 60%. And so we can, you know, we can treat a reasonable number of patients and get a reasonable number of patients pregnant through a relatively simple and straightforward process like IUI uh, and, and therefore avoid having to look at more, uh, you know, other methods such as IVF. Now again, individualized treatment protocols because there are some patients that it makes sense to go straight to IVF and there are some patients it may make sense to try, you know, an IUI. Um, how many cycles do you tend to recommend before thinking about other treatments? Um, we typically say two to three IUI yeah. cycles. Yeah, and depending on if they've had prior treatments before, mm-hmm. but standard of care, three IUIs before you, like I say, kind of stick your head above water and talk about other treatment options. Yeah. So, okay, you come in for the IUI. What do you, what do you tell the partner? So I normally say that it's very similar to a pap smear. Yeah, I think that's the fair. Patient, yeah, the patient is very similar to a pap smear. That's okay. So yeah, we need sperm and we need a patient, and I think those are the two things that you need for the day of the IUI. Yes. So, based on the timing of the trigger shot, we schedule the IUI, and uh, either a partner comes in to collect a specimen beforehand, uh, before the IUI appointment, or you can drop off. Or if you're using donor sperm or frozen sperm. We have the lab ready to thaw the sperm and prepare it for the insemination. Mm-hmm. Um, the patient uh, comes in and uh, has, you know, it goes to the exam room, and the IUI itself is really like, like Carolyn yeah. said, a lot like a Pap smear. Um, it's it's fairly underwhelming. It takes about 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I keep asking if I could get like a gong or something that I could bang at the end of the IUI just to make it a bigger deal, but everyone says no. no. <laughs> That's my ADD. But but after that, it's pregnancy test in two, two weeks, weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and hopeful, for, hopeful to hear good news. Yep. So that, my friends, is an IUI uh, from day one to, to a positive pregnancy test, hopefully. And um, thank you, Caroline, for keeping me on task. Again, if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at fertilityanswers.com. But until then, I look forward to seeing you all again next month. Thanks. Thanks.